Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker, Dennis Kozloff. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. It's an interesting time. I talked to different ministers and pastors, and, you know, we were on the lockdown. A lot of churches were closed. And now, uh, well, when they got closed, a lot of them frantically started trying to develop this media ministry so that we can broadcast the services and people can participate online. And I still remember Neil and I and Wes and Lily, everybody stressed out, Neil and I jumping in the car and riding five minutes before the Best Buy is closing to buy the cheap camera, trying to come up with something by Sunday. We're doing it on Saturday, and it's, oh gosh, that was interesting. Did you enjoy the online thing? Those of you who watched, okay, thank you. Just at least two of you saw that. That's good. <laughs> that was not in vain. That was good. But let me tell you something. Interesting thing is happening all over America right now. A lot of people were gone home and started doing online services. And then the churches reopened. And a lot of people never showed up. And they're still not showed up. I mean, they have a hard time putting themselves together and coming back to the churches. And a lot of pastors scratch their heads trying to understand what's going on. Let me show you something right now. It's, it's, for those of you who has a impaired sense of humor, it's a joke. It's not a real thing. But just watch. It's funny and it's sad at the same time. Let's watch it. Tired of having to wake up, get dressed, and drive across town just to attend your favorite service? Introducing Virtual Reality Church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Feeling a touch of white guilt? Add a minority worship leader. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you like and we'll select a pastor for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go for it for prayer? Well, if you selected a Pentecostal service, always stand in front of a mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual off from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance. You got to agree, this is funny. But this is sad. This is sad because, I mean, there's so much truth in that. You know, the church became so much about our expectations, our demands, about us, about me, 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 me. You know, Mark, several weeks ago, he was preaching, and he was talking about this disease that we all have in common, and these diseases being this, having this propensity, this inclination to be self-occupied all the time, to be absorbed by, by, by this mysterious thing that we call self. 
That's the most relevant topic. Anything that has to do with myself is relevant. That's the most interesting topic. Anything that has to tell me something about me, myself, is relevant and important. And America being a free market society, which I highly appreciate coming from Russia, you know, they try to accommodate. So I'm sorry to tell you guys, I mean, I'm a rude Russian guy. You create this reality. Because, you, you know, you project these expectations. And pastor being an open market competitors of intangible religious services that try to serve the customer. Am I rude or am I rude today? I'm good. All right. All right. Okay. So, <laughs> so several years ago, there was a study done in America about American churches. And uh, they studied like, what do people expect when they look for a new church? And almost half of Americans had a chance in their life to look for a new church for different reasons. Half of them because they moved to a new location. So here are the five, no, actually seven things uh, in order of importance that was learned from this survey. And you can actually compare it with your own expectation. You can think right now, like, what do I expect from the church? The first number one is, which gives hope to people like me and Neil and Mark, is they expect quality of sermons. This is good. This is good. Yeah. The second one is feeling welcomed. This is good, too. This is good. Like today, uh, my, my friend Joe, we recently met Neil and I. We're helping them to get ready to be married. Wonderful couple. I was so glad to see people started like coming to them and introducing and asking who they are. I went uh, several years ago, I went to Minnesota and I was invited by a friend of mine and he was a member of a big famous church. I'm not going to mention the name of the church. Excellent, outstanding everything, like the music, the worship, the preaching, everything was like top notch. But the guy who invited me, was, he was one of the, on, the, on the serving team, so he had to come like one and a half hours earlier. So he brought me, so I was there. And I was in the foyer before anybody arrived. And then people began to arrive. And I was sitting in the coffee area at the table drinking coffee. And for about an hour, people were gathering more and more. And they were clustering in small groups and talking and chatting and smiling. Not a single person approached me. I was top-notch church. <laughs> I was puzzled, <laughs> to say the least. So feeling welcome. The third one is a style of service. Like what kind, you saw that, that you can choose, you know, like, oh, I really love Wes's pants. They're very, very skinny. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I'm not talking about that. But like, you know, there are different styles, music styles. Some people like country, some people like gospel music. The fourth one is location. Like, oh, is it convenient to get to? Do I have to go through traffic jams? I've been so blessed. I live within a walking distance from this church. It was the first time ever in my entire life. When I became a Christian, I had to travel two hours every Sunday to get to my church. Yeah, and actually, Sunday morning, the only people who were out were Christians. So you can actually hug anybody on the streets because you know he's or she's a brother or sister. <laughs> that was back then. Later, times change, and like there are two crowds. One coming back from nightclubs, home to sleep, and another group is going to churches, and they overlap. So the fifth one is education for kids. It's important. It's very important. But it's important for those families who have kids, who don't have kids. They don't really care. 
I'm sorry. Uh, the sixth one is having friends or family in the congregation. That's important. You want to have somebody to relate to. And the seventh one that still gives me hope, but it's at the very bottom, is availability of volunteering opportunities. It's still there, praise the Lord. A lot of Americans still want to serve, but that's not a high priority today, friends. So tell me, why do those people were forced to leave the churches and a lot of them never came back? But why? If I come once a, once a week or twice a month and I listen to a sermon and I give a little money and I can do it all online, what's the point? Isn't that a good food for thought? So today, I want to talk about one of the essential element of any true genuine church life that basically you can say that any church life from the very beginning from the early church in the book of uh, new testament the book of acts two things are essential to any community of believers what the new testament in greek calls kerygma which is what is presented what is proclaimed what is preached the content of the preaching and teaching and the second one is koinonia which is translated usually as fellowship. And let me tell you something. Coming from the other part of the world, kerygma is very strong in America. You have one of the top, the best preachers in the world here. You have such a strong, powerful, Bible-based preachers in America. And when the internet got developed, they all became available at the tips of your fingers, in your earbuds, in your iPhones, everywhere. So anybody has access to the best speakers in the world who can present the truth in the best possible way. Here's what happened to the second part, koinonia, fellowship. It's, it's disintegrating. It's disappearing from American churches, and Christians don't even know it. If you read the book, any book of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he, you would see that he presents the gospel first or he criticizes them for, for example, Galatians from drifting away from the gospel. But then he tells them, so he talks to them about kerygma, about the content, about the gospel, about the true content of the teaching of God. And then he tells them how to live in the light of this truth. And when he tells them how to live in the light of this truth, he always uses this reciprocal, recipro what's the word? Reciprocal pronoun, one another, one another. It's constantly used. It actually, in Greek, it's one word, alelon, I believe, if I remember correctly. It... It's there all the time, and he doesn't mean your family. He doesn't mean your co-workers. It's implied, but he primarily means people that belong to the same community of faith that you belong to. That's the practical expression of koinonia, one another. One another. That basically means doing life together. How much today's... Christians in America, how much today we as Christians in America, we do life together? We're pretty good just showing up. At the, we're actually almost heroes of faith if we come every Sunday. Because a lot of people like kind of shrunk the number of, you know, showing up at the services. And I, I'm not here to play the guilt card. I'm not there for that. You know me. 
I might sound rude, but you know I'm fluffy inside, right? <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I want to draw your attention to a problem that you and I, we have, and we are responsible for creating this problem. And I want us to address it and think what we can do about it. I want us to be responsible in this area. I don't want us to be consumer-minded, like kind of consumer mindset Christians, you know? Just choosing and picking and shopping and getting the best deal for ourselves. You hear me, right? Okay, I'll start with Galatians. Galatians 6.1. So he comes to the second part of the book of Galatians. And he's very, he's very emotional in this book. He, he, he actually is not politically correct in that book. He uses a lot of strong words that actually become very mild in English translation. But if you read in the original, he is harsh. Because he's mad. He's angry. <clears throat> and when he's done telling them what he thinks of those Judaizers and what he thinks of you foolish Galatians, fools, he tells them how to live. Coming back to the gospel and telling them again how to live in the light of the gospel. And here's what he tells them in chapter 6, beginning from verse 1. I'm going to read the whole uh, uh, chunk of it, uh, first several verses, and we'll... we'll uh, Concentrate on one particular verse. He says in verse 1, chapter 6 of Galatians, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him, listen, in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And here comes the key phrase here. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to read it again. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. <coughs> it's not random phrases. It's all one piece. But let each one test his own work and then... His reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So he's not, basic, he's not basing his stand with God on the comparing himself with others. He's actually finding direct interaction with God. For each will have to bear his own load. Paul, which is it? You say bear one another's uh, burdens and that at the end he, he said each will, each will have to bear his own load. These are two different words. I'm not going to develop it much, but it's like in the airport when you fly, you have a, a baggage to check in, big cases, and you have a backpack, carry on. So the, the latter one, the one that each one will carry, that's your backpack thing. That's the thing that is not transferable. That's part of that you can't really share. Like if you lose someone you loved many years, people can express their sympathy. It's just not possible to share it. It's your personal grief that you have to process, you have to go through. It's very good when people can support you during this time, but you have to go through that. So there are things like that that are not shareable, but there are a lot of things that are shareable. And we as Christians are called to be intentional about picking up this burden of each other and carrying them for a while. So what I'm saying today is that we are not called to believe only, 
but we are called to belong. We're not only called to have faith, we, have, we are called to have fellowship. And the only reason we don't have fellowship is that, I'll be honest, we choose not to. So if you see the church that is missing or lacking fellowship big time, it's because you, my friend, and I chose not to. Gosh, I'm harsh today. It's fine. I, 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 you know, I've done it with you many times. You're still here. That's good. So that's why we must to choose. We must choose. We must choose to connect, to connect. In John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus said, In you command I give you love one another. These three words sum up the law of Christ. Love one another. Love one another. And how do you fulfill this law? Galatians answers, bear one another's burdens. Love one another does not mean being nice and friendly. The rest of America, the, everybody here, most of the people at least, they're nice and friendly, or at least they try to be. That's a cultural protocol, but it's a very thin veneer that wears off immediately when difficulties come. True love is manifested through difficult times. True love takes effort, takes intentionality, and the basic thing, it takes time together. So if you don't create space and time together, you don't even give a chance to experience true love. I hope you're, you're taking note of what I'm saying today. I'm drawing... I don't know what it is. It must be the Spirit of God because both Neil and I, we kind of brought up some not-so-easy-to-take, not-feel-good-about-yourself messages last several Sundays. That must be something that the Spirit is speaking today. So, what does it mean to bear one another burdens? Well, basically, it means to carry or bear or take up, lessen or lower the load that somebody is carrying. It is to remove, to reduce, or to relieve so that the overworked, overstretched, and overwhelmed person won't crumble, crack, or cave under the pressure. Carry is an act that comes with motivation, meditation, and meaning. The message is always in this act. And the message is, I care. I care for you, Derek. Thank you. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the first one, we, we need to develop this mindset. I'm just kidding. Derek and I, we know each other for a long time. We need, yeah, we need to make this mindset. We need to develop this mindset of like, I'm not coming here just to feel good. I'm, I, I'm part of the community. To become a Christian is always to become part of the community. You cannot become a Christian and not become a part of a community. It's just not possible. Do you understand that? You read the Bible. It's not possible. You cannot be internet Christian only. So the mindset should be, I'm there. God has called me to bear those people's burdens. So you have to find out those, those burdens are. You have to know. You have to know people and know what they're going through. I'm not saying we all should become this whining kids and like oh, unloading. And, oh, I have a terrible life. No. No, I'm not saying that. 
But there should be room for being real. That's why the second point in a healthy church that has a healthy koinonia, koinonia uh, fellowship is learn to confess your faults. That doesn't come naturally. We all are so afraid of rejection. We want to put our best leg in front of us, right? Is that the saying in American language? I'm best food. I'm sorry, best food. Which I don't know which one is best. I, I like them both. Here they are. Yeah. But like, <laughs> but we, 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 we try, right? We try to get liked. We try to, to be likable so that people would like us and we would like people and maybe we can develop friendship and that's why we start with being nice. And I don't argue that. Please start being nice, okay? <laughs> don't just come at me like, I'm a horrible person, let me tell you. No, please. Uh, give it gradually, okay? But, but we need to have a culture when it's like a family. I mean, when you become part of a group of people, you try to develop friendship. And with some people, you develop a friendship. You like them, they like you. You develop some level of trust so you can be more open with them. And you're not that open with others. That's a natural process. That's understandable. But at the same time, listen, Paul appeals to them as brothers. He said, so <laughs> look around. Look, look at some of the people around you. Look. Hey, let me tell you something. You're stuck with them for the eternity. Because they are your spiritual family. Even if you like decide that all of these people are like knuckleheads and you want to find another church, go ahead. You're still stuck. And you'll find another set of knuckleheads over there. Yeah, because you are one of them. And believe it or not, that's my basic point for today's message. <laughs> so learn to confess your faults, your shortcomings. Like acknowledge them. It's fine. You're human. I know Gosh, I can't get to this, my third point. So, don't, don't try to put your best foot. We know one of your foot is not the best. We just know it by experience because we have one like that too. Right? Be real. Learn to be real and accept people who are real. Here comes the short story I had to insert it. From Max Lucado's book, The Eye of the Storm. It's a story about a parakeet named Chippy. Listen to that. Chippy, the parakeet, never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage, and the next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problem began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She put the end of the hose in Chippy's cage to clean the bottom, but then the phone rang. She turned to answer the phone and barely said hello when she heard... <laughs> Chippy was sucked into the vacuum. The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, quickly opened the bag. There was Chippy, still alive but stunned. <laughs> Since the bird was covered with dust and dirt, she raced him to the bathroom, turned on the water, and held Chippy under the running water. Then realizing Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hair blow dryer and blasted Chippy with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. <laughs> A few days after the trauma, the reporter who had initially written about the traumatic event called Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, the owner replied, Chippy doesn't sing anymore. 
he just sits and stares. Let me tell you, that's you sometimes. I know life can throw a hurdle in your life that you don't see coming, but you feel just like that cheapy bird at the end of it. When you go through that, I don't want you to come and like, I'm fine. No, you're not. Be real. You know, talk to someone. Find someone. That's why you got to have relationships. You gotta have relationship. You gotta learn to be real with each other. All right. And the final one, and I love this one, and we have to get, have it engraved on our hearts and our minds everywhere. Here's our calling. I don't care what you think your calling is. Paul said, "If somebody thinks he's something big, nothing, he deceives himself. He's conceited. We don't want that. So some of you might have a great calling in your life. Maybe you're called to preach or teach or whatever. Or maybe go become a missionary or become a great lawyer. I don't know. Start a great successful business. I don't care. Here's your calling in the church. We're called to restore one another. I don't care what your social status is. I know your calling if you're a member of any local church, and you are, if you're a Christian, you cannot be a Christian without being a member of a community, to restore people in that community. And God will anoint you and equip you to restore people. And Jesus, being the ultimate example for us, <clears throat> on the night where he was to be betrayed and show the ultimate act of love, self-sacrifice for the sake of us and our sins, he also took time to show us what it means to live, to have a lifestyle. He gathered his disciples and he washed their feet. You remember the story? Those of you who didn't, uh, who didn't read the story, it's, in, in, it's found in, I believe, in, in the Gospel of uh, John, chapter 13, I believe. So what he did, and you, you got to understand, it wasn't a religious act. I know later in Christianity, there appeared groups of Christians that began to practice it, but it's all fake. Like, they would wash their hands thoroughly in home. They come, and they would give their clean feet for other people to wash to act like they're humble. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real, you know, washing their feet. Back then in Palestine, they, uh, they would wear sandals like Derek does. I, I Yeah, like... Thank you, Derek. <clears throat> so, and it was dirty. It was not paved. It was dirty, and there were a lot of animals, and there was a lot of dirt and organic dirt. <laughs> Came up with a new word. <clears throat> so, and they would gather in the small rooms. Those rooms were small, and they didn't have chairs and tables that would recline. You know what recline is? It's not in the recliner in front of the TV. They would just kind of lay down on their side and have a little pillow or something, and they would have something in front of them with food, and the room was small. Try to imagine a doll slaying like that around the table. Someone will get someone's feet in their face. It's just inevitable. So the, the, the custom was to wash their feet before they would get to the table, uh, and usually a rich family would have a slave who would do that, that because that's not a very uh, commendable job, right? Jesus deliberately takes the basin, takes the water, girds himself up, steps down, and washes their feet, and they're shocked. And that's how he showed, and basically he's telling you, that's a lifestyle of the community of faith. 
That's how you restore other person. And here's my title, my secondary title. As I was preparing for that last night, I just thought that's another definition of the church. Holy people with dirty feet. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you have, spiritually speaking, you have dirty feet on a regular basis. Go ahead, do that. Spiritually speaking, you have dirty feet on a regular basis. And those who were spoken to can say, I know. And you're going to wash them for me. Yeah, I'm joking, but I'm not joking. So, seriously, that's the, that's the whole process. That's what the church is. These are holy people that God redeemed from himself. They made a covenant with God. It's all for real. They're not hypocrites. They're not fake. Most of them are real deal. They know God. They're in fellowship with God. But they might be jerks sometimes. I'm sorry to say. I don't know. Is it permissible word in the church? I'm Russian. So I, I learned from you guys. So you have to blame yourself if you hear something that is not acceptable in church. <clears throat> so, you know, holy people with dirty feet. And your call is wash those holy people's dirty feet on the regular basis. Let me read you uh, a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. How many of you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is? This is a famous theologian, but he doesn't have much respect for being theologian. He has a lot of respect for being a real pastor. Who was in Great Britain when Nazis came to power in Germany. And he had a choice to stay in Britain and be saved. But he decided to go back to care for the church. He was one of the very few pastors and Christians in Nazi Germany that stood against Hitler, that resisted that evil power, and he proclaimed that it's evil power. And one of the biggest questions he had in mind for all of his life that was ended prematurely in one of the concentration camps because he resisted the civil power, the question was, what is church? And he studied this question seriously, thoroughly. And uh, he practiced this as a lifestyle. And I want to read this. It, it's, it's rather lengthy quote from him, but listen to that. Listen to that, please. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and judge God accordingly. It is not we who build. Christ builds the church. Whoever is mindful to build the church is surely well on the way to destroying it. For he will build a temple to idols without wishing or knowing it. We must confess he builds. Christ builds. 
We must proclaim He builds, Christ builds. We must pray to Him that He will build. We do not know His plan. We cannot see whether He is building or pulling down. It may be that times which by human standards are the times of collapse are for Him the great times for construction. I believe this is the time now. And you don't have to wait and think and imagine and dream about this church to come. Let me tell you good news. It's already here. It's right there. It's right there. It's right there. So I, I, I try to help Neil. He, Neil tries to help me. I always tell him, like, every sermon must have practical points. So I, I had to follow my own advice, right? So I'm going <clears> to <throat> finish with this as a conclusion. Here's some practical help that you can provide to help this fellowship, this community, this community to have fellowship as a real church. Well, open your calendar. I know all Americans are busy and you're busy. But please, if you keep being busy and don't make any time for what we just talked about, it's not going to happen. So budget time for spending time with brothers and sisters. Make, make it responsibility of yours, all right? Second one. And I'm, I'm not talking about coming to more church services like this. Because what happens right now is good, but it's not fellowship yet. You're just listening to one dude from the stage. I'm talking about reciprocity. I'm talking about talking and listening and responding and talking again and praying together and crying together and laughing together. That's what I'm talking about. You hear me? All right. Open your heart. What does it mean? Paul said, I carry you in my heart. The, old, the high priest in the Old Testament, he would wear this golden plate with 12 gemstones uh, inserted in them. And on each gemstone was the name of the tribe of Judah. And Paul used this image. He said, I carry you in my heart. That means knowing people for real, knowing their names, knowing their life circumstances, and praying for them on a regular basis. Open your heart for people of the community that you belong to. Okay, here's the... I got to be careful here, but... Be, con be trustworthy. That means keep confidentiality, but be nosy Christian. Be a nosy Christian. Mind your own business is not the church philosophy. It's good for the world. It's never good for the It kills the church. Mind your own business. Philosophy kills the church. Be responsible. Be trustworthy. Keep confidential stuff confidential. Don't gossip. Don't talk. But be no, find out what's, what's happening. What's going on. Why? What? Be nosy. I give you official permission to be nosy. As long as you, if you keep confidentiality and, you know, you're, 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 you know what I'm talking about. And open your personal hospitality. It's probably the good word is also learn to practice hospitality. I mean, in ancient times, in early church, they would actually invite people and let them stay in their houses. Today, you can at least go eat together, invite someone, or like, you know, do stuff together. I remember my wife, and there's a lady, she's absent today. How do I know she's absent? My wife talked to her. I know this family, and I know they're not here today. And she was asking me about them today. So how, how in the world I know they're not here? Because my wife, I'm not praising my wife, although I should. I praise my wife. 
I better shut up this line of communication because I'll get myself into trouble. But she reached out and they talked and they met and they had a good time and now they know each other. So all it takes is reaching out to one person at a time, one family at a time. Just introduce yourself, talk, invite, be invited, suggest going together. Uh, every once in a while, Neil invites, you know, it's kind of spontaneous, informal. They go to Wendy's after Sunday. Go there every once in a while to spend time, all right? So hospitality, maybe modified. Maybe you don't have a good living space to invite people you would be ashamed of. Don't worry about it. There are tons of other ways. There are wonderful coffee uh, area in the church. Ask Neil, like, if you can bring a friend and have a cup of coffee in there in front of the fireplace in the winter. It's the coziest place ever. All right? So, basically, I'm done. I, I think I gave you enough food for thought. Just remember, the church is a group of holy people with dirty feet. Just remember. That's my personal definition that I came up last night. And if somebody quotes it, no, they steal it from me. All right? Remember, your call is to wash their feet and restore them gently. Some people may assume that the role of a prophet, and if they see dirty feet, they'll say, Thus says the Lord, Derek! You gotta, you know, dirty feet! Repent! That's not a New Testament ministry. Paul, when he speaks in, in the book of Galatians, he, he says about restoration, and I read some commentaries by different scholars, and they say that it actually comes from the image that is very similar to when somebody breaks their leg or their bone. When you find someone who just broke their leg, you don't yell at them, how dare you not to walk. You pick them up, and you try your best so that their broken leg would not touch the floor, and you carry them. To a safe spot where the help is available, all right? That's what the ministry of restoration of the New Testament. People love to talk about tough love. You have no right to say something about tough love if you haven't provided this gentle, gentle love. If somebody jumps at you with a tough love, you can, I give you permission to say, shut up, I have the church. Bye. Even if he does it in the name of the Lord. Um, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Thank you. Neil, come pray. Wrap it up. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.